Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Tea or Books, where we debate the difficult decisions of reading and books. My name's Simon. I'm Rachel. And in today's episode, we'll be talking good reading year or bad reading year. Um, and in the second half, we'll be doing Oh, the Brave Music by Dorothy Evelyn Smith and A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. No relation. Um, that's not quite what we advertised last time, which I will or we will explain later in the episode. <laughs> First of all, Rachel, how are you doing and what are you reading? Um, I'm doing all right, thank you. I've nearly made it to the end of term, which feels a little bit of a miracle. Um, and yeah, just, you know, soldiering on. Um, London's got very busy again all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, it feels a bit strange at the moment. You kind of go from nothing to last night I went for a little walk to look at the Christmas lights and I was just like, where have all these people come from? Um, <laughs> And are you so, tier two or tier three? We're tier two at the moment. Okay. But I would, I'm expecting us to be put into tier three next week. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, people really aren't doing any type of attempt at social distancing from my experience. So um, I think it's going to, and the cases are pretty high, so I think it's going to go into tier three, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know what, I just feel bad for the theatres. That's what I feel the worst for. They're putting on a show, they're being called off again, then they're going back and they're going, you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I do wonder um, how how many will survive this, but fingers crossed. I mean, I've, I've been to three or four online plays, which is not the same at all, but, um, no. but it's better than nothing. No, and I will actually say, I mean, you know, I know this is supposed to be about books, but, you know, we can do cultural things as well. Sure. Um, I tried the live the old vic is currently doing um online theater that's sort of live streamed from mm, the mm. so they're actually in the theater um but it's like you're watching it on a screen so there's no audience or anything but it's kind of like you're he's there and they're actually doing it while you're watching it so it feels a bit more you know better than just watching a recorded thing and um i did that on fr- last friday and i thought it was wonderful i mean mm. i did miss the atmosphere of being in the yeah. theatre. What did he see? Um, it was well, actually. Do you know what? I don't think he. I don't think it was live. I think it was a recording of a live one that they mm. did before. But it was Three Kings by Stephen Beresford. It's a new um, monologue written for Andrew Scott, who people mm. will know as either Hot Priest from Fleabag <laughs> or Moriarty from Sherlock. Um, I remember I was very cross when he was in some Noel Coward play, which yes, I wanted to see because it was Noel Coward, but I couldn't get any tickets because everyone wanted to go and see Hot Priest. <laughs> well, I saw it and it was incredible. <laughs> um, that was one of the last really amazing theatre productions I saw actually last year. Um, no, he was great in that, but he was wonderful in this. And um, they did, they made a really good attempt actually to make it visually interesting by playing mm. around with camera angles and doing split screens and things like that. So, um, I like the fact that they were sort of experimenting with the online um, and recorded and Zoom and sort of possibilities of, of doing something interesting and being like, okay, well, we can't do a real play, but what we can do is think about how can technology help us to make this interesting. So I really enjoyed it. So for people who are missing the theatre and are thinking, oh, I don't really want to watch a play on, a, on the screen, do give it a try because it is a good alternative, I think. And I will say, for those of us who don't live in London, it's a lot cheaper than having to catch the train to yeah. London to see something and going back at you know, midnight. So, um, yeah, and you know what? Theme. I'm hoping this will also lead to a, perhaps a revival of theatre in regional 
cities because I do feel like London is a bit, you know, we've got all the culture here um, and it should be spread out a bit more, really. We can hope, but um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? knows? Repertory theatre, let's bring it back. Love a good rep. Um, So yeah, I was, that's, I've been watching lots of stuff um, and not reading as much as I should be really. I've been really busy at work so I haven't had as much time and I've just been exhausted when I got when I get home but um I'm currently reading my way through my unread Dorothy Sayers um so I'm having lots of fun with that um I'm just halfway through have his carcass at the moment and I've got absolutely no idea what's going to be the outcome's going to be I'm so bad at working out um mystery novels Mm -hmm. so um but I'm enjoying those very much very nice for a wintry evenings um and I've just oh, and I also just read. Uh, Persephone have just published one of Wilkie Collins's books, mm. the New Magdalene, um, which I hadn't heard of before actually. And I love a Wilkie Collins, and I sat and read it in one sitting. It was that addictive, um, you know, like so bad and so predictable. But it's great. <laughs> um, and apparently, it was written sort of concurrently as a play, which is a nice little segue there. And you can really see that in the um, in the writing, but that's I highly recommend that if you're having a bit of a bad day and you just need something to detract, distract you from what's going on in the world. It's it was lots of fun. I mean, I was laughing out loud. It was so good. Oh, good. I mean, I, I've only read The Woman in White, which long-term listeners to this podcast will know that I didn't particularly like. Yeah, I don't know if it'd be your cup of tea, to be honest. Um, But if people do like 19th century and melodrama in particular, (laughs) it it reads like a 19th century melodrama play. Um, It's very good. You can kind of imagine the twirling mustaches and (laughs) capes and that sort of thing. I did study melodrama briefly during my master's and that was, it was great fun to read how absurd every every moment of every one of those plays was. Yeah. It was like Dion Boussico appearing and everything. Um, I, I, it's not, this is not what I'm reading, it's what I'm listening to, but I've wanted to mention a new podcast I found in the last oh. few weeks called Lost Ladies of Lit, um, which you might be able to guess is about undervalued women writers, uh, not something that we're, is a, is a great foreignness to us here, but indeed they've done episodes on authors we've done episodes on, including Dorothy Canfield Fisher, uh, Willa Cather, and, Emily Eden, they did an episode on her, which was a nice oh, surprise. Oh, wow, how exciting to find kindred spirit. I know, yeah. So um highly recommend uh, then their two American ladies, um, which I realised when they, I'm trying to remember what, are they, yes, they mentioned Dulwich and pronounced it Dulwich. And I was like, aha, <laughs> I oh, see dear. you're not, you're not Anglophiles yet. <laughs> um But easy mistake to make. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're, in fact, they're authors who write together, but I, can't remember their names or their books so i'm sure they write <laughs> write great books as well but lost ladies of lit uh check out their podcast um if you like this one which hopefully you do um i'm currently reading uh the hate you give by angie thomas ah. which i think you've read haven't you i have yes yeah as for my book group um but i i watched the film when that came out and i really love that uh i don't often do do it this way around but um it seems from reading the book that the film was very faithful. So I'm enjoying it all over again. It feels like I'm rewatching it sort of. Um, I feel a little uncomfortable reading 
like a cool teenager speak. I know she's not that cool, but I just I feel <laughs> for some reason when I watch it like it, what's clearly a teen movie, I don't feel as out of place as I do when I'm reading a teen book. I think am I the right audience for this? Am I too old um, to be reading someone who speaks like this? But no, I'm going to persevere. <laughs> And for those who don't know, it's about um, a young black girl who is with a young man, I guess boy, he's only he's still um, in his late teens, who gets shot by a white policeman in a traffic stop. And obviously um, very topical for many similar incidents that have happened in America. But it takes that as the opening that happens in the first few chapters and then looks at what happens afterwards with protests and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I very much enjoyed it. And um, with the children, well, I read it um, with the children at school and they really enjoyed it as well. There, I mean, I had a similar experience of thinking, you know, I am so out of touch. Um, and the kids were asking me, like, oh, miss, we don't understand. Because um, for those of you who don't know, I work in a French school, so my English is all of my kids' second language. And the kids were saying, oh, miss, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, can you translate it for us? And I was like, I, I've literally no idea. This is so out of my cool zone that um you know I was just like gosh all of this like lingo that you just don't know um but I I find it very eye-opening yeah I mean and it's interesting how I'll be interested to see how well it dates not for the issues it addresses but for things like she runs a popular tumblr blog and I feel like tumblr is already on the wane but I could be wrong about that I mean I don't even know what tumblr is <laughs> just like her mum we've avoided talking too much about the pandemic this year because we wanted mm-hmm. it to the podcast to be one of those things where it's a little escape from the news um, but as this is going to be the last episode we record this year I would imagine um we thought we would do a little overview of our reading year, and we can't really do that without talking about how the pandemic affected our reading. Um, if it did, I'm assuming it did. Um, have a, yeah. Before we get onto specific books that you would like to pick out as your favourites, um, have has the pandemic changed how you read this year? Um, I think initially it did, um, because. First of all, I found I couldn't really concentrate on anything for ages. So I wasn't really reading very much at all. Um, And then as we sort of got used to it, I suppose, accepted it. um, And I was working from home and the weather was lovely. um, I was, you know, I had all this time that I don't normally have. I wasn't commuting to work. I was, I had time during the day to do what I you know to do my own stuff rather than having to be at work so I mean I was teaching online but it was not as um you know time consuming as being at work so um and I was you know sitting outside in the evenings Mm. and that kind of thing so I was reading a lot and I was quite focused on doing my reading through my bookshelves project that I started in the house. Of course. Have you finished? No completely failed at finishing (laughs) um but it was it was good for me to have that sense of structure I think when you feel like the world is falling down around you um having a kind of project to focus on or some kind of um framework that I had for my reading I found quite um anchoring so I did enjoy thinking right okay I don't it's another decision I don't have to make you know like I know the next book I'm going to read is going to just be the next one on the shelf yeah so um I enjoyed that and I enjoyed feeling like I was accomplishing something because I felt, you know, I think all of us this year probably have felt like, you know, we haven't really done anything or worked Mm -hmm. towards our goals or anything. So um, 
it's it's nice now to look at one side of my bookshelves and think I genuinely have read all of those books. Um, yeah, and that's you know, amazing. I, yeah, and it feels it feels good. And I've got rid of a lot of books as well that I read and I'd had them for a long time. And you know, I finally got around to reading them, and I and either didn't finish them because I didn't like them at all, or finished them and thought, you know, actually, I'm not going to read this again. And I mean, something that I think has been quite interesting about spending more time at home is making me want to get rid of stuff. I don't like having stuff that I hate to say this because it sounds like Marie Kondo, but, um, <laughs> you know, that doesn't give me pleasure. I'm like, if I'm not going to read that book again, then what is the point of me having it? I wouldn't keep anything else that I wasn't ever going to use again. So why would I do that with books? So and I've you were been, already quite a colour before know, this year. I know. I mean, I've always been pretty good at, at culling. Um, so I've been quite strict about that. And, you know, I'm now at, at the stage, and I have also bought a lot of books, uh this year which i wasn't supposed to do but you know you need pleasures at these times um and as soon as the bookshops were open again i mean i was out the door straight down to waterstones that was the first place i went so i've also i've bought a lot of things this year because uh, and read a lot of new stuff actually that's come out because i've wanted to support bookshops and i've wanted to i guess feel engaged with the zeitgeist a bit more like understand how people are feeling and that kind of thing Wanting, to, I, I found like reading current stuff has been a good way to connect with people, um, because if you're constantly mm. reading stuff that you know, like both of us like to read stuff that was published, you know, eons ago, you, you, it can sometimes be quite hard to find someone else who's also read that book and have a conversation about it. Whereas if you're reading something that's just come out, you know, it's likely someone at my work will have read it or another friend will have read it and then you can have a chat about it and it's another way of when we can't see people if you've got I mean it got to the point where I was phoning friends and we'd all be like well you know so that's my update you know we've got <laughs> yeah. to say so sharing a book together and both reading something at the same time and being able to talk about that has been really nice I've done that with a couple of friends um reading things and I've um particularly non-fiction actually I've got I've got a better at reading non-fiction because I've had more time to concentrate though I mean once I went back to school in September obviously schools have been open in in the UK so I've been back at work and you know it's just been as busy as usual and I'm out the house all day again so my reading has definitely slowed down since the summer but um I think it's given me more of an appreciation for how important reading is and it's something that's made me quite angry about the pandemic is the lack of support and funding for the arts as if that's the that's the thing that's of least importance to society and mm. when you, what most people have had as a crutch during this is, has been reading films tv online theater that kind of thing um, it makes you realize how important imaginative engagement and um getting lost in other worlds is to people in order to feel fulfilled and uh, absolutely yeah so yeah it's been uh it's been interesting i've found some new authors i've um i've realized that i don't like some authors that i thought i had um that i'd had loads of books by um and then read and, and thought actually do you know what i don't really like this stuff it's disappointing isn't it when you've read one book by someone and then you know we're, we're both of us are hoarders and they're just like i'm just gonna buy all these other books and then never read them um I'm reading through them and thinking, oh, actually, that was a bit of a duffer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm rambling now. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'll pick up the book buying bit first before I talk about 
how my reading's been, but um, I have definitely been buying books, a lot of books this year, uh, but I've only been to a bookshop once since March, which was when I was in Annick and um, for a wedding, which was very surreal in itself, but, uh, but lovely. But uh, while I was there, I thought I can't not go to Barter Books. Anyone, any book lover in the UK probably knows about Barter Books in Annick, which doesn't have the best selection of books and it's very overpriced, but it's such a lovely space and lovely place to be. That's the one in the railway station, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, with a little yeah, railway running around the top. And it really, like, every time, I say every time I go, I think I've only been twice, but um, it is... It's 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 great for for yeah how it feels. It you can I didn't come away with very much, but that's the only bookshop I've been to this year, uh, well since March, um, and w- so I haven't really done any just serendipitous browsing since then. So every book I've bought, obviously I've decided what I'm going to buy, uh, whether that is a, a secondhand book or a new book, um, and I just miss the surprise of going through and picking off a title you know nothing about and seeing. Oh, maybe I'll give this a go and then it could turn out to be wonderful. Or maybe I'll just buy this and put it on my shelf and never read it. But either way, yeah. um, that's what I really miss. And the reason I, I just, I haven't wanted to go to any shops unless I absolutely have to. Um, and it's not, I don't live anywhere near bookshops and I'm not going out of my house very much. To, so I'm not like walking past one or anything. Um, so yeah, there's that. But uh, And in terms of how my reading has been, Right at the beginning, I could not read anything. When none of us knew anything about what this illness was, um, I was just so anxious, mostly about my parents, who aren't super old, but, you know, they're much more vulnerable than I am. So if I get this, I'll be fine. If they get this, who knows? And thankfully, praise God, they have not so far. Um, But I was so anxious about that, I just couldn't concentrate to read. I just watched a lot of TV. Uh, And then my gateway back to reading was Pride and Prejudice. I thought I'll reread Pride and Prejudice because if I don't concentrate for a page or two, it doesn't really matter. I know everything that happens in this. I know I know I could pro- know most of the words, um, and that really worked. So since then, I have read more this year than or perhaps any other year. I think because I was talking to someone um, earlier today, in fact, who has three small children and she was saying that she has like eight minutes a day to read because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, particularly during the period of the year when when they were having to home educate uh, and all that sort of thing and it really does seem to have gone two ways with most people at an extreme so people who've got kids who aren't used to having them around all the time are just exhausted by the end of the day and haven't got any energy to read or they have to entertain their they're, if their kids are older, they entertain them until they go to bed, I guess. Um, and then people like me, who live on their own, don't have kids, not leaving the house for work. I finish work at 5.30. I've got nothing to do until I start work the next day. I've had hours and hours and hours of reading time that I wouldn't normally have because I'd be commuting or I'd be going to see friends or I'd be out to dinner or to a play or to the cinema or any, any of these things that I'm not doing. Um, I really, I mean, I've read like 140 books or something this year, but I what no excuse for wow. having read about three times that based on the number of hours I've had to read. And I normally read about a hundred books a year. And obviously it's not quite as we're recording, there's another two or three weeks left of the year. So I might finish out around 150, I guess. So yeah, that's, that gives you a marker of how I'm doing versus normal. Well, that's very impressive actually. I mean, I, I never normally read as much as you because, um, yeah, I guess I don't, I mean, I do read a lot, but it's, um, a lot of what I read is stuff for school, so it's kind of rereading 
or reading bits and bobs. Um, so I don't really have, yeah, I don't really read very much in the evening. I've been trying to, to read more in the evening and trying to get into a habit of doing stuff before I go to bed. But unless I'm really I've into a book, I find it quite difficult to motivate myself to pick it up. It's so much easier just to collapse in front of the TV. Um, and there's been so many good series and things on. <laughs> Um, and MasterChef um, is on at the moment in the UK, so I get a bit addicted to that. Um, and also, The Crown has just come back, so you know that was several evenings of my life gone. Um, have you watched that yet? <laughs> I've actually only watched two episodes of it ever. Ah, I keep going. You're like my sister. I keep like, no, you have to watch it. And she's like, oh, you know, I'll get around to it eventually. Well, um, I, I stopped because I knew everything that was going to happen. <laughs> no, no, like that, Simon. No, you mustn't. <laughs> But also, I, I essentially only watch Neighbours and sitcoms, like a lot of sitcoms. I I just can't, I don't have the space in my mind for an hour-long drama, it seems. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's. I, I find, um, yeah, it can just sometimes be difficult, unless I've got a whole weekend and, you know, I have, um, I, I think I probably get out and about a bit more than you. I've been, I've been to the cinema, I've been to the museums and things. I'm doing what I can while I can because I just live in fear of being locked down again. So, mm. um, it's, and I also feel a bit resentful at the moment in the terms of like, while we were properly in lockdown, it's like, well, I'm still having to go to work every day, but then I'm not allowed to do anything else. So like literally my yeah. husband's <laughs> just going to work coming home again or go to the supermarket um it's a bit depressing it's like i have all the stress of work and no way to have any downtime mm. um so it's yeah it's been an interesting one so, so you, to get, oh, sorry oh, you, go. No, you go ahead you're probably gonna ask me something far more interesting <laughs> well i was just gonna say to go back to you said you got rid of some authors after hoarding them and trying them and realizing you didn't like them do you remember any of who they were um do you know what i i can not off the top of my head, but what I can do is is go to my handy list of books that I keep that I've read because my memory is shocking. <laughs> and I can tell you what I've read this year. Let me see. The, actually, do you know what's quite interesting is I can see on this list uh, when lockdown started because I know the first book I read under lockdown. Oh. Like this innocent time before then of the things that I'd read. Um, let's see on here what I did and didn't like. Um do you know what? I realised I didn't like Graham Greene, which was sad. Oh, interesting. What did you read? Uh, Our Man in Havana. And I've read other stuff by him before and never been that fussed by it. And then I think that book, I was just like, yeah, do you know what? I think he's just not... Because I know lots of people who are like, oh, my goodness, you know, the end of the affair and all these other things. Aren't they just wonderful? Um, and I'm just like, no, nah, it just doesn't really do it for me. And the same with uh, Henry James. I was like, you know what? I tried oh, to... Yeah. <laughs> two more of his and I thought no do you know what I'm okay to draw a line under you um, well yeah because with Graham Green, I have had real mixed success in that I am one of those people who thinks the end of the affair is amazing um, and I really and I enjoyed um, Travels with my aunt and I hated Brighton Rock so who knows Maybe, see, I, I, I do like Brighton Rock um, but I don't like yeah, and I I read the end of the affair and was waiting to be emotionally moved and just wasn't. Um, I guess you're dead inside. It's fine. Yeah, maybe I am. I think yeah. no, yeah. I think you're definitely not. Um. Okay. So you those have gone from the shelves now. Yeah. Um. Any surprise? Surprisingly brilliant books. 
Um, Joe, you know, I've had a lot of, of you know, real success um, in reading this year and found some really good stuff. So I was really surprised by how much I loved Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Everisto, mm. which was last year's uh, joint Booker Prize winner. Which um, you've talked about doing in a future episode, haven't we? Yes. And, you know, very much, you know, thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, I also discovered um, Ali Smith, like I've actually read one of the quartet of seasonal mm. books which i loved which i know aren't everybody's cup of tea um and i really enjoyed reading quite a lot of non-fiction and learning about some new topics and stuff that you know so i finally read my way through some of my victorian books that i bought when i did my masters and never read um and I've also read a lot of stuff on feminism this year. It's been my passion reading about, which I've really enjoyed. And I loved Square Haunting by um, Francesca Wade, who works in the Persephone bookshop, I think, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all about a group of it's about women who lived in Mecklenburg Square, which is unrecognisable now from when they lived there. It's kind of half of it is pretty much gone has been replaced by another building but it's one of the if you if people listening have been to persephone books on lambs conduit street if you come out of Lam, lambs conduit street in bloomsbury um it's it's the square that's directly opposite you so and it's literally two minutes from where i work and 15 minutes from where i live so it's quite nice for me to because i know where all that that is and i've been yeah, able yeah. to go and look at all the addresses and um there are a couple of you know virginia wolf's in the book and dorothy says is in the book so there's there's people that um, I already knew about, but then also some other women who um, are were mainly academics, um, and hearing about their pioneering lives and what they brought to their fields, and now how they've been forgotten. It was just really interesting to read those, and so also so interesting to think that the same people, these people, lived in the same building as each other, and all this brilliance was just yeah. condensed into one small area of London, and it's. Um, yeah, just gosh, what must it have been like to live there and yeah. time? And is it sort of accessible for any reader, sort of, or is it academic? Oh no, absolutely accessible, and and great. Yeah, I've I've currently lent it to one of my colleagues at work, and has been like, oh, read this, you love it. So no, it's really really entertaining. It's really well written, actually, and accessible. Um, mm, I enjoyed it a lot. Bit late without my Christmas list, isn't it? But because uh, I've I've heard about it, obviously. Oh, you'd obviously, love it. But... You'd love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get hold of that. So what about you? What have been your standouts? Um, I think this is uh, some of my favourite things I've read this year have been books that I hadn't known about that have been reprinted. Um, not just the British Library ones, obviously, although what a great year for reprints it's been. But um, <laughs> but uh, Business as Usual, which I read earlier, I remember reading it on a train, so it must have been before March that I read it. Um, by, I can never remember if it's Jane Oliver and Anne Stafford or Jane Stafford and Anne Oliver, but some combination of those. Uh, it's just a novel in letters about a woman who moves from Edinburgh to work in the books department of a department store in London. Um, and it's, I guess it's, it's very light and quite silly, but, but just completely encapturing and lovely. And um, yeah, it's a real insight into what um, uh, in department store libraries were like at the time as well how, the, the mechanisms of those which I find very interesting and, and I suspect many people listening to this would do 
uh, that's great fun. Who republishes that one? Is it Handheld Press? Oh, that's Handheld Press. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. I should have said who do a really eclectic range of things. Some mm. of which don't appeal to me at all, and some of which are really wonderful. Um, basically, all of which are Kate McDonald's, who runs it, taste. I guess um, she's yeah. She likes quite sort of young, canny, and weird stories, but also these sorts of lighter things and then she she loves john bucken i've never read any john bucken and i, still I love haven't. john bucken <laughs> they did one of his yeah um yeah and the other one i was going to mention is uh, a house in the country by ruth adam mm-hmm. uh you may well know as writing the persephone book uh, a woman's place but also wrote many other things and she's been reprinted by virago with other things i think but this was uh sort of i, I might have talked about it before but it's um it's sort of fictionalized non-fiction i guess about the time that she and seven other people decided to rent a tudor manor together um uh, and the first lines of the book tell you that it's all going to go wrong so it's not too much of a surprise <laughs> when it does <laughs> but that's somehow very charming whilst also being quite you know quite hard to watch it all fall apart as well and and of course I know you've also read, and I've mentioned last episode, this is the year that I really loved a novel published this year, Jack, by Marilyn Robinson, of course. Yeah. So any year with a new novel by Marilyn Robinson is, is a is a red-letter year, if such a thing exists. Well, you know, something good had to come out of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I've had many duds. Um, I don't have my list in front of me, but uh, it's I've read a lot more. I always make my list of my top 10 favorite books at the end of the year, very strict on ranking them. You know, I love to rank things. Yes. Um, and I think it's going to be really hard this year to, to limit it to 10 and to decide which one gets up to the top. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've just been just flicking through my list of books I've read. It's, it would be hard for me to, to narrow it down. Cause I have, I think I have had a pretty bumper year actually, and I've read quite widely and it, I, I like to think eclectically. So, um, there's all sorts of things on there that are that are quite interesting, and in fact, I should mention that I've I've just read the new Edward Carey book, The Swallowed Man. Oh, have you read it? Uh, mm, it's yes. very short. I've got it now. Yeah, you know, utterly bizarre as you would expect from Edward Carey, but marvelous. So that's yeah, recommended. Yeah. Yes, um, we readers, sorry, listeners may remember we did Alva and Erva versus Little. Yeah. Um, at the end of last year, I think. Yeah. The year before. Which, yeah, I'm long, long-term long Edward Carey fan, so I was very excited to buy it and then not yet read it. But <laughs> maybe <laughs> over Christmas. As per. Oh, I'll tell you what I have just read, which when I describe it, you, you, you will quickly understand that it was not by my own choice. A 430-page historical novel set in 16th century Spain and Florida. God, um, where did so this many, come from? Ticks so many boxes and things I don't want to read. <laughs> Uh, it was about the discovery slash invasion of Florida. Uh, it was for my book group. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I could even... No. It doesn't yeah, look to me either as a historical novel lover. Yeah, it was better than I thought it was going to be. It was the Moore's account by Leila Lamani. Lalami, yeah. sorry. Um, which, yeah, it was better than I thought it would be, but it was still not at all my cup of tea, and I was resentful of every moment I was reading it. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. Well, they did quite enjoy that my two book groups I was in were reading books by Leila Slimani and Leila Lamy at the same time. Oh. That's quite a fun coincidence. Anyway, so good reading year, bad reading year. What are you going to pick? I think it's been a good reading year and it's it's been a year where I've needed reading more than any other, I think. 
Amen. Yes. Good good reading year. About the only good thing about this year. Good yeah. reading year. Great. We've got we've got two questions for this ah. middle section. One of which is not very serious from my friend Paul, who's written Simon, it seems to me like this podcast is a convenient vehicle to mock your friend Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you derive any pleasure from the discussion or is it merely a sideshow compared to ridiculing your co host? <laughs> Thank you for sticking up for me. <laughs> a question I won't be answering. But, uh, and then a more literary question from Michelle, who basically wants to know what we think of P.G. Woodhouse and any recommendations there. Um, I have no thoughts on P.G. Woodhouse because I've never read anything by him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, easy. Is there, is there a reason for that or it's just not happened? Um, it hasn't happened. And... I, I kind of didn't know where to start. I think I've, whenever I see P.G. Woodhouse books in bookshops, there seems to be a bazillion of them. And I just think I don't even, and I'm gathering there's some kind of loose series. Um, and I don't know where to start. I mean, I, I feel like it would be the kind of thing I would enjoy. Um, there's also just the fear of if I do read the first book and love it, it's like there's just so much to read. It's like starting watching a series when there's already been five series and there's 15 episodes in each one you know you just think can i even go there yeah i think there are 91 maybe novels these written so, <laughs> uh, some of them are in series you'll, you'll know the jeeves and wooster series yeah. of course uh, there's a blanding's castle series a smith series a few others um i've read maybe 20 of his books oh wow uh, i read a lot of them when i was about 16 17 and then i read probably one a year on average because um, there are so many and they're so easy to find and uh, at his best I deeply love him he's just he's one of the few authors who can make me laugh out loud often several times a chapter his way with sentences and the way he uses exaggeration and um lightotes litotes don't think I've ever said that out loud how do you say that the under exaggeration um is so well honed and crafted and just wonderful um his earlier books i've had less success with uh but generally i find him very reliable i don't know if i have a particular favorite the jeeves and wooster ones are are the best known for a reason i think they are wonderful um but yeah i mean i i can see what you mean like the the worry is you like him and then You've got to write a whole new bookcase, but yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I, I find his short stories a little underwhelming, perhaps. But um, and I have no interest in reading the ones about golf. <laughs> he wrote quite a lot of those, but uh, but any of the novels, even the sta the standalone novels, I really like the girl on the boat. That was one of the first ones I read. Um, yeah, he, he then they are definitely recognisable, and a lot of them follow the same plot, but no one's reading them from the plot. Too. No, I think yeah. that they and they seem like they'd, they'd be hilarious. Yeah, they're just, in fact, it's making me want to go and read one. Uh, but yeah, as long as you're not going for the first ten or so, then I don't think you can go far wrong. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Right. So now, a tree grows in Brooklyn. Betty Smith. Oh, the brave mu music. Dorothy Evelyn Smith. Which would you mm. like to introduce us to? Um. I will do Oh the Brave Music because it's the one I read most recently. Well, partially read. Go for it. <laughs> um, 
So, Oh the Brave Music is one of the British Library Women Writers series that Simon is the, uh, what's your official title, Simon? Series Consultant, thank series you very much. Consultant, look at that. Yeah. And um, I did feel very excited reading the afterword, thinking, oh, it's Simon, so exciting. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, so the book is about a, a girl called Ruin. Um, I'm presuming that's how we say it. I think so. R-U-A-N, isn't it? Yeah. Um, feels like it should be faintly Welsh or something. It does, doesn't it? Um, I don't think it is. But, no. Yeah. And her, her sort of childhood, the book, book begins with her childhood, um, living in a with her parents who are very ill-suited um, from completely different backgrounds. Her father is a Methodist preacher and her mother comes from an aristocratic family, though, you know, an aristocratic family who are on her on their sort of last legs really um and her mother's very beautiful very vibrant her father is very dedicated to his work and they live in a quite depressing um industrial town and um she's got a sister sylvia who's very beautiful and ruins not very beautiful ruins very bookish her sister isn't and the book starts with looking at their life in this town and ruins it's all told through the eyes of ruin and um her struggles at school and then um, how much she loves going up to the Yorkshire Moors to stay with Rosie, who's a family friend, and there she meets David, who is a slightly older boy who um, she kind of falls in love with. But not this; it's a platonic friendship, but yeah, there's yeah. Um, a great love and affection between the two of them. And she lives for this time when she can escape her family home and go up to the Moors and stay with Rosie and see David. And um, I won't say much more than that because otherwise you know, all of the plot things will be ruined, but you basically follow her as she grows up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is in some ways very similar in that it's set in the 1910s, it's written in the 1940s. Both those things are true of Oh, The Brave Music. Yeah, it's about, I should have mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, about a girl called Francie and her coming of age in living in a very different environment. So whilst Francie's, uh, whilst uh, Ruins growing up on the moors, um, or spending lots of time on the moors, uh, Francie's right in the middle of Brooklyn. It's a, uh, very proud of being from the American part of America. <laughs> Everyone else seems to be second generation, but she can trace her family back in Brooklyn for some generations. Uh, they're very poor. Her dad her is um, struggles with alcohol. Uh, she's very bright, loves writing, but um, there's very little opportunity for them to have any sort of creative endeavours outside of school they can't have you know all the other lessons you know that people have outside school because they're so poor it's a, it's a lot about food they're, they're very hungry a lot of the time and there's this wider cast of uncles and aunts and neighbors and things um and it follows it d- jumps back for a bit to see her mother and father as younger people and then jumps forward again and follows until she is 17 at the end um having grown up and <laughs> what is alarming is that her old past it mother with who she's amazed it doesn't is, have a complete head of gray hair is one year younger than me by the end of the novel <laughs> so, wonderful um if you were listening to the end of last episode you'll have heard that we were going to do other brave music and miss plum and miss penny by dorothy evelyn smith uh rachel why didn't we do that well, because I mean, I just couldn't get on with um, Oh, the Brave Music, and I couldn't bear the thought of having to read another one by her as well. So I asked Simon if we could swap to something else, and he very graciously agreed <laughs> to do so, despite being very disappointed by my. This was my maybe my biggest moment of heartache. 
the po- since the podcast began because <laughs> I thought here's a book like Rachel loves books that are about uh, women's emotional or women and girls' emotional lives and learning who they are and beautiful depictions of nature um, and family dynamics and it all seems so up her street. I know uh, it just wasn't. I will say this. Um, I've read four of Dorothy Evans Smith's books now, and Miss Plum and Miss Penny seems like it's by a different author. The other oh. three all feel there's a really obvious sensibility to them all, very similar writing style. I've read the other two are Beyond the Gates and Proud Citadel. And I just kept forgetting it was Dorothy Evans Smith was I was reading Miss Plum and Miss Penny, because the style's so different. I was very confused. Um, and here I will drop in, uh, because I know some people were looking forward to us discussing those, I got in touch with Arpita, who runs the blog Bagful of Books, uh, and also you might know her from Instagram, the same name, who I knew had read them both, and she has recorded a little message about what she thought of them both that I'll put in here. Oh. I recently consecutively read both Miss Plum and Miss Penny and All the Brave Music by Dorothy Evelyn Smith. A few years ago, I'd read The Lovely Day, by the author, and really hadn't warmed very much to the story. Naturally, she wasn't very high up on my TBR pile. Miss Plum and Miss Penny was the first story I read, and in retrospect, I'm quite glad I read it first, because in my opinion, All the Brave Music is the bigger story, having a larger canvas and scope, and delving into deeper thoughts Nevertheless, Miss Plum and Miss Penny was also a lovely read. In that book, we meet Alison Penny on the morning of her 40th birthday. Her parents are deceased, and she lives in a small Yorkshire village in her family home with a trusted maid called Ada, whom um, she has known since she was a little child, On her birthday morning, she saves destitute Miss Victoria Plum from drowning herself in the village duck pond. She brings her home and decides to take care of her, but Miss Plum doesn't appear to be as helpless as seems at first glance. She has quite a manipulative nature and soon, rather than feel sorry for her, Miss Penny wishes she had not let her into her home. I won't reveal too many plot twists, as this would spoil the reading of the book. The book has a rather simple plot, and it addresses themes of homelessness and poverty. It also addresses whether or not Miss Penny, the 40-year-old spinster, should marry one of her three love interests, and sheds light on how financial independence gives women the freedom to make life choices that are advantageous to them in the long run. On another level, the book has some delightful scenes set in and around Christmas time. There's carol singing, skating on the lake, and lots of really well-drawn characters. All the Brave Music is a coming-of-age novel with rather a serious and sombre tone, In fact, it had me feeling very emotional and sorry for the young protagonist throughout the course of the novel. It's been compared to I Capture the Castle and Guard Your Daughters by Simon. But whereas I Capture the Castle feels quite playful in parts, I felt 
all the brave music was never that joyous except in quite infrequent bursts. The young protagonist faces a number of losses in life. People who are quite close to her, and through it all, she perseveres. It's quite a hard novel to read, especially because you feel very emotionally connected with the young girl, Ruan Ashley. Though her young life is touched by tragedy, it's the enduring love she feels for her friend David which provides her with the strength to persevere. It's quite a special novel, and I think the love story is unusual and makes this book unique and so strong. There are also wonderfully vivid descriptions of roaming the great expanses of the Yorkshire Moors that add beauty to the novel and feel very Bronte-esque. I loved both books, but to be honest, it felt like that they were written by two different people. The moods and the level of writing were very different. I'd recommend both Miss Plum and Miss Penny as a thoughtful Christmas time read and All the Brave Music if you are in the mood for something deep and soul-searching. Thank you for that, Avita. That was very kind of you to give your thoughts. Uh, Rachel, do you feel chastened? No, I want to know what what it it was you you didn't like. Or or you can start if there was anything you did like. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of things that I did like um, in terms of the the writing um, style was quite nice. And I think Ruin was certainly an interesting character. And I liked the depiction of this kind of industrial town and in around you know 1910ish, and I liked the exploration of the dynamic between the parents and that idea of having a marriage that had clearly been a disappointment to both of them, and they'd both take well, particularly her mother had taken a huge risk and had separated herself from her own family and seeing that disappointment and frustration in her and the difficulty of of her life I thought she was a very interesting character actually um that I would have liked to have spent more time with I was actually I'd like to read a book about you um (laughs) and thinking you know what led her to make that decision and did she really know what she was leaving behind um and her desperation really at being stuck in this town and stuck in a house where she can't do anything and she can't go anywhere. And she also doesn't seem to have a belief in the religion that her husband has either. So that all of that dynamic was fascinating to me. Um, and I love the depictions of the moors and the countryside. I mean, I love, I'm presuming it was in Yorkshire, which I adore. So that was lovely. And I thought the relationship to the sisters was very good. I mean, there's lots of elements of it that I really enjoyed, mm. but um, I just found it very twee. Yeah, you said that message, and I was quite. I'm. I guess I don't know maybe what people mean by the word twee because to me something like misread is quite twee, and I know you love misread. I love misread. So what's not in misread that is here? What am I missing? So misread is twee because it means to be twee. I feel like I felt like this book didn't mean to be twee. It just was. Um, and and I didn't. I what made me feel very uncomfortable the whole way through was this relationship with David. She's mm. like seven at the beginning, and he's what fifteen or something. No, he's twelve at the beginning. So there's five years gap between them, I mean, he yeah, doesn't which is yeah, speak a big gap. Like any twelve-year-old I've ever met, and it just felt a little bit like grooming. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the only thing I found uncomfortable, about. and I will talk about how much I love it because I feel like we need the balance at some yeah. point. But um, yeah, she always acts much 
older than she is. She always seems at least two or three years older than she actually is to me. But And at the beginning, I didn't find it too bad because they're both children. It's not romantic. They're just kindred spirits. At the point later in the book where he's an adult and she's still a child, that's when it starts to feel a bit queasy to me. But again, it's not it's not romantic. It was a different time where maybe those sorts of suspicions wouldn't have been in people's minds, wouldn't have been in the author's mind when she was writing it. I'm sure, obviously, you know, paedophilia is not new, but but it, perhaps you could write something more innocently then. Um, yes. I mean, I can see that she meant nothing by it. And I think also it, it was nice to see the depiction of a largely, at that point, platonic, though I was never entirely sure that it was platonic, um, friendship between a boy and a girl, which is not something you see very often. Um, but yeah, that did make me feel uncomfortable, and I don't know, it just all felt a little bit predictable. Do you know when people who love books write about people growing up who love books and want to be a writer? <laughs> and I just thought, I've read all this before, do you know what I mean? Um, and I could tell everything that was going to happen. And then it did happen. And I thought, well, I'm absolutely awful at predicting things and never imagine what's going to happen. And I literally could have written this. It's like writing by numbers. I just thought I can't. Um, I just couldn't get on with it. I'm sorry. I know and it, there's lots of lovely things about it. I don't want to. I'm sure for many people, this would be wonderful. And perhaps, you know, if I read this at a different time, I'm certainly not going to get rid of the book. Don't think that. Well, that's something. That's good. I mean, it's got your name in it. I've got to keep it. Oh, um, and I think perhaps in a different frame of mind, I would enjoy it more. Yeah, I think I'll say what I, what I loved about it was it's one of the best books I've read about people appreciating nature, and I really nice. felt like I was with her on those moors. And like I, my version of this is the much less dramatic Worcestershire countryside where I grew up, so it's not got all the all the sort of scales that um the wild yorkshire moors does but but that feeling of freedom to be completely yourself when you're out in in nature really spoke to me um i found it it was i guess it was predictable i never really think about what a plot's going to be like in these sorts of books where where you're not really like if it's a murder mystery i I want it to be unpredictable if it's this sort of book i i guess i don't really notice one way or the other but uh there were definitely some of the most moving things I've ever read. I, I don't know if you mentioned her younger brother, Clem, when you were introducing, but she oh, has yes. a No, that a was younger... very sad. Yeah, she, it's a younger brother who is, we're never told exactly what it was, but some sort of developmental disability. Um, and the first, there's this scene that I'm going to get choked up thinking about it, <laughs> where Ruin goes and asks her dad, basically like, why is Clem not walking and talking like other children his age? And he doesn't really answer her. And then she goes back hours later and he's still standing in the middle of his study with his face in his hands. And that is such a powerful mm. image. Um, oh gosh, I'm getting quite moved. Um, and then uh, I think it's it's a bit, in fact, something it has in common with A Tree Grows in Brooklyn to me is that I felt so enveloped in the world that she was describing. And obviously they're very different worlds in these two books. But if a it's not so much me feeling like I can see that world, but there's something about it that makes me feel I'm in it um, and living alongside them, I guess. Um, that, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think it's the greatest prose style in the world, nor it's not, nor is it bad. But uh, but she's greater atmosphere in a way that um, few other authors are that I've read. I think, um, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about Tree Grows in Brooklyn, I guess. When did you first read that? When I was uh, about 13, I think. My mum bought it for me 
and I loved it immediately. Um, and then I reread it when I was living in New York and fell in love with it all over again. I was very worried. I didn't want to reread it for years in case it wasn't as good as it, I'd found it when I was younger. Um, but when I reread it, I just thought, no, this is an absolute work of genius. I just love it. Yeah, so my friend Ellie, who I used, one of the people I used to live with, loves this book. And so I bought it a few years ago based on that, but had not read it. So I was pleased for the opportunity to do so. Um, and it's it's one of the slowest books I've ever read, but I don't mean that as a criticism. It's one, it's one of those rare, long, slow books where you just want to sort of, it's like, I don't know, sinking to a hot bath sort of mm. thing, where it's, oh, not that it's, you know, it's not fey in any way. We've got some, we've got, paedophilia we've got a a stalker and murderer uh you've got alcoholism you've got it's a lot of dark things happen in this book um so it's not you know all cheerful by any means but um but something about the pace of it really worked i remember when i I read the boat by lp hartley i felt similarly that it it was a very slow book but but where that really fitted what the book was trying to do um yeah i think i did get a bit of I would have liked not to have the bit where we skip back to the parents to find out about them. I was like, I'm okay just to accept their past and know about it without interrupting Francie. I want to stay with Francie for a bit longer. So I was glad when that was out of the way and we could just follow her life. But she, she's quite like Ruin in some ways. I guess she's quite like the, the heroines of many coming of age books aimed at teenage girls. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, intelligent, more, more, more creative and intelligent than her environment and trying to deal with that. Um, something I find interesting looking at reviews of these online is both these books have a lot of reviews of the sort that say, my mum gave this to me when, yeah. you know, 50 years ago and I've read it every year since sort of thing. They're both maybe books that are at their best if they're read at a young age passed on from one generation to the next yeah i think that's something that is really powerful about particularly books about women and girls i find a lot of the time we girl women and and girls read books passed on to them by their mothers and it's that sense of passing on what's touched you as as a child because i think also for a very long time it's not so much now but for a long time there weren't really any books that spoke to girls about you know their experiences and things like that so we held on to these stories that were meant something to us and helped formed us and passed them on to the next generation each time and I think you know my mum was very good at choosing books like that for me um and saying you know like this is the type of person that you are recognizing that in me you know I always felt that I didn't belong where I grew up Hmm. um and I think that's what I loved so much about Francie and because you know she grew up in Brooklyn which is a suburb of New York um at that time you know somewhere that feels actually very very quite sleepy and quite small town I mean nowadays when you go to Brooklyn it's it's very much part of of the whole conglomeration of New York and you feel like you're in a busy bustling city but it's very it's depicted as a as an almost backwater in um a tree grows in brooklyn and that's how i felt growing up in the suburbs of london you know the london was there but i felt so far from it um and i thought that was you know and i also spent my all my time in the library and that you know wanting to to kind of hoard books and and go and get books and i just loved her voice um Mm -hmm. and her wisdom in 
seeing this world around her and understanding the difficulties of it, but also knowing that if she worked hard enough, she could get out. Um, and I think I feel like there's some kind of sequel that I've never read. Oh, really? Okay. I could have made that up. Oh, is it Tomorrow Will Be Better? Yeah, I think so. I've got that by her. I'm not sure if it's related or not. But, um, hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Ruin is first person, but it's told by uh, her much old, or 30 years older. So it's got mm. that sort of mingling, I think, really well of the youthful naivety, but also with that experience. And then Tree Grows in Brooklyn is told in the third person. But as you say, we still we're basically in Francie's head, but in the third person. Um, but there's, I guess, without the sense of, isn't it? Even, yeah, it's written 30 years later, but it's not got that sense of looking back. We don't know what happens to Francie yeah. after the last page. Um, yeah, I guess what you say um, about describing this sort of suburb, that's one of the reasons it didn't connect with me in the same way, in that I have no affection for the suburbs or for urban places. Uh, I've lived, I lived in a city for 13 years, but all the time I wanted to leave it. Um, so... I yeah, my heart does not respond to the description of an of an urban neighborhood or a suburban neighborhood um, in the same way. I mean, I enjoyed reading it, but I didn't feel any empathy for for her there. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting in that she certainly lives amongst poverty, and it's not doesn't shy away from a depiction of poverty. I don't know how common that was at the time, but. Um, all the stuff about food was really interesting. I guess Ruin's also quite poor at different times, but it feels she feels she doesn't dwell on it in the same way. Um, I didn't. What do you think about? Did you think it had realism in that? I don't really know how realistic it, it is to a depiction of being very poor in nineteen tens. I think it. Yeah, it did feel realistic, and I, I think particularly for Ruin as well, there's a sense of the family being separated from the other people in their community because even though they're not separated financially they're separated socially and they're separated intellectually I suppose so mm. I, f I feel like Ruin feels like she's better than these people and that she um, is a cut above them but actually she doesn't have the money to access this life that she feels entitled to so I think that kind of um conflict I suppose between mm. knowing that actually physically financially um, even in their house and everything they've got nothing better than anyone else but feeling inside that you're entitled to something better than, than other people um, is a huge barrier between connecting with people who are in the same position as you and the pot she feels her poverty in a way that I don't feel like the other people around her do um, and that's mm. what puts her apart from from them. She's kind of horrified, isn't she, when she goes to school for the first time and she sees Gosh, yeah, yeah. all these girls who are wearing awful clothes and whatever else. And her, and her mother has brought her up with this sense of, you know, we're better than that, etc. When actually they're, they're not. I mean, what does make you better than someone else? So that's a that's a kind of a question that's explored isn't it that idea mm -hmm. that they don't have anything more than anyone else but they're considered to be better because her father is a is a minister and everything but he wants to live the same life as his parishioners he wants to understand to be on the same level as them and they are but ruin mentally isn't on the same level as them and i think the poverty is quite it's interesting to see as well like you know that they do still have 
domestic help, but they don't actually seem to pay them. So, um, because the <laughs> her mother's maid is there as a kind of, you know, it's a little bit Mrs. Danvers, isn't it? That, you know, she is devoted to her and won't leave, even though she doesn't yeah. get paid any money. <laughs> so, again, they've got like some of the trappings of what we would consider to be middle class life, but the reality is they don't have any clothes, they don't have nice food, um, and they have to go to the the same school as all the other kids because there's no money to send them anywhere else and I mean I found that really quite interesting to think about how hard it must have been actually for her because I think in many ways it's easier if you're poor and you just accept that you're poor and you don't really have any ideas beyond that if you are incredibly poor and you can't afford anything but you constantly you have a real taste for finer things or an expectation Mm -hmm. that you should if you know if you're parents had done something different you would have been entitled to this different life there's must be a real disconnect between the life you live and the people you mix with and the the imaginary life that you want for yourself and i found interesting in a tree grows in brooklyn that um at one point they receive life insurance Mm -hmm. for 150 dollars uh i think it was no 200 dollars and at that point in the book before that they every you know every nickel and dime they were very careful about so this is a massive amount of money and they spend basically all of it on the funeral and it's so interesting for that culture and perhaps still for many cultures today the the lavishness of the funeral was so important and not in a showy way but just in showing respect to the dead person way that was how they like must make sure they get the proper send-off um when it could have been an almost life-changing amount of money for them. I looked up what $150 was today compared to 1910, and it's about £4,500. So when I say life-changing, it's not, you know, completely life-changing, but it's a lot of money to spend on a funeral when you don't have money for fresh bread and have to get stale bread. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that was interesting. And speaking of, yeah, to go on the realism thing, uh, there's a bit that stuck with me um, when Francie's writing her stories for school and the teacher gets really cross because she's written about her father's alcoholism and about poverty and she says these are not the things that you should write about in stories stories should be about beauty and she starts getting marked down and obviously betty smith is saying that is not that is not true <laughs> that stories should be about life um one way or another yeah have you read anything else by her i haven't no yeah mm. i don't think um she wrote that many novels and um i don't also think that her other novels achieved the same success as this one i think it was you know i don't know because i haven't read the others but from what i've looked at it seems this was considered to be a bit of a a one-hit wonder as it were okay yeah and i found with dorothy Evan smith obviously you didn't love this one but i see the other ones i've read i have not loved as much as I've loved this one. I've enjoyed them. Proud Citadel, I definitely enjoyed. There's just too many characters in it. Right. Um, it gets a bit confusing. Um, and yeah, Miss, Miss Plum, Miss Penny, which I think our Peter would have said earlier, is uh, Miss Miss Plum, meet, sorry, Miss Penny meets a woman who, or finds a woman who's about to drown herself in a duck pond and invites her to come and live with her. And it's sort of the stranger in the house taking over sort of thing which i think is a really interesting premise and doesn't quite live up to it as it keeps going i enjoyed it but um because i read it years ago and thought this isn't that great and i haven't changed my opinion that much in that i still think it's yeah it doesn't quite carry through its promise maybe it's just it's not as distinctive in my mind 
um, yeah, it's still still worth reading, but doesn't have the same emotional pull for sure. Um, well, we're up for an hour, so um, I think I know what you're going to choose, but let's confirm it. Which of these two? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is one of the most beautiful and heartrending depictions of growing up I've ever read. So for me, it would be that. Yeah, and up against many of the books we do, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn would win because I really did like it a lot. But Oh, The Brave Music is one of my favourite books from the last few years. And uh, yeah, there'd be very few books that could beat it. So Oh, The Brave Music for me. Oh, but I'm glad you enjoyed A Tree Grows in Brooklyn nonetheless. And good, yeah. and good for you to have a reason to read it at last. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it ended up working out. So, well, in fact, I think it's got a lot more in common with Oh, The Brave Music than Miss Plum and Miss Penny does. Oh, there <laughs> so we are. It worked out quite well. Yeah. Um, do let us know if you have read those which you would pick yes. um, you can see all the books that we have talked about at stuckinabook.com you can get in touch at torbooks at gmail.com you can find Rachel at booksnob.wordpress.com uh, and we'll be back in the new year Ooh. talking about Expiation and Father both novels by Elizabeth von Arnim yes looking so, forward to that yeah. and have a wonderful Christmas in the year everyone and yes. we're hoping that 2021 is a um, better year for all of us, eh? So say all of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.